0: Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. Hear these words from Psalm 29. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. Again, I welcome you to Redeemer Church. My name is Beth, and I'm a volunteer here. This is our eighth week (laughs) in the message series. And uh, Pastor Tim, I've just flubbed it up, so why don't you go ahead and take over. (laughs) It's okay. It is okay. Not only is it our eighth week, but it is our final week in this teaching series, Um, The Power of Hope, and we're bringing this all to a close, where we've been looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 and not just that one verse for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, but all of that has led up to that and what it means for the Israelites to be in exile. And today we're going to bring this series to a close by looking at how our starting point matters. You see, a lot of times in our life, we, we find ourselves in these situations where we're not sure if we're really failing at something or not. We think we're following God's path, but we're not sure. And we're trying to wrestle through that, that situation of, is this really where God wants me to be? Am I, am I in the right place? And in those moments, we find ourselves needing to rest even more securely on God. And as the Israelites are in the exile, and as they've, they've been told they're going to be there for 70 years, as, they've, as they've, told, they've been told that God is with them, even though they're being punished, um, we find that God gives them this promise in these last few verses of Jeremiah. And that there's a condition to that promise. And, and, but that it's a promise still that, that when you seek God, you'll find him. And when you pray to God, that he will listen to you. And that ultimately, God is going to bring the Israelites home, just like God will bring us home in our lives when we remain faithful. And so we're going to bring this series to a close by looking at our starting point and how it really matters in our lives. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here in this place. God, use these moments to help us experience you, to grow in us, to work in us. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd invite you to take out your message notes guide um, from your worship folder, if that helps you as you follow along this morning. I'd like to share with you a a brief story this morning. After after many years of, of praying, uh, there's this girl named Mary, and she um, started this course of study in and, and a field that she was interested in, and, and it was very close to her heart, and, but unfortunately, things didn't turn out very well as she started. Um, her first few papers received failing grades, and one of her instructors made some comments that were very discouraging for her. And leaving out some of the personal information, here's part of what she wrote in her email about the experience as, as she was asking for some advice. About her hard time that she was going through, and I'll quote it. She said, When I started, I was scared. I stepped out in faith to do something for which I felt completely inadequate. I don't know if you've ever stepped out in faith to do something that you felt completely inadequate, and I know that I have personally. Um, But she stepped out in faith to try something. She goes on, The classes have been very difficult for me, and sometimes I have almost reached the breaking point. Again, I can't speak for you, um, but I know in my life I've almost reached my breaking point, and so I would assume that many of you maybe have almost reached the breaking point in your life in different situations. I'm intrigued with the idea that I am right where God wants me, and that he is in control and will use this whole experience somehow, but I have questions about whether or not this is the right thing for me to do. And then she raises some good points, uh, and some points that I think that all of us would ask if we were in a similar situation. She asks, I don't understand why if God opened the door for me to go back to school that I would be struggling so much. She asks, I don't understand why the frustrating low grades. I prayed for God to help, and my prayers seem to go nowhere. Now, maybe that's never been you. Does God want me to fail my exams, she asks. Am I right where God wants me to be, running in circles and hoping against hope? Is this an all things work together for God's good, or all things work together for those who love God's situation, or or not? What, What is this? You know, I think we've all been in these kind of situations in our lives before. It's very tough to take a step of faith, to take a leap of faith, especially when we feel like we're inadequate or that we don't know if we can actually do it or not. And then especially if it blows up in our face, if, if, if it doesn't actually work out the way we want it to. Deep inside, we, we all like to think that if we obey God, if we're going to follow God and do what He says um, and what He tells us to do, then things are, even though they're going to be tough, and we know that when we follow God, it's not going to be easy. We, we accept that when we take a step of faith, but we, we, we think that, you know, it's all going to work out somehow. Ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, we, we believe that God's going to work it out and, and it's going to be good. And, and in the big picture, that's true, it will. But obeying God is always the best way to go. And the fruit of obedience is always the best, but ultimately is always the best. But that, that's, that's that word that catches us sometimes, that ultimately it'll work out for good. Sometimes obedience may seem quite bitter to us when we've tried to do the right thing. We've ventured out in faith, we've taken that step, and we've obeyed God, and yet we still end up frustrated and wondering somehow, did did I make a mistake? Did I make the wrong choice? Did I do the wrong thing? So whenever those thoughts come to my mind, because honestly they do, they come to my mind as well, I think about the circumstances that greeted Abraham um, from Genesis 12 and and when he finally got to the promised land. You see, he had left the land of Ur. God had called him and said, I want you to pick up all your things and leave. Go to the place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. It's going to be great, wonderful promises. So he picks up and he leaves everything and he goes and he goes. He follows God. He takes that step, that leap of faith, following God. He's going to do it. And he does. And and and. And he gets to Canaan. And all of the dreams disappear. Because who's there to greet him? Nobody. Nobody's there. Nobody cares. No welcome home, Abe. We're glad you're here. Welcome home party. No welcome wagon. Nobody expected him. Nobody cared. See, God, God had promised him this land, but he had to scratch out an existence when he got there. It would be hundreds of years. Hundreds of years would pass before God's promise would even be fulfilled. Abraham never saw it. Neither did his son Isaac. Neither did Isaac's son Jacob. Which begs the question, was Abraham in the will of God at all? Was he right to leave Ur? And was he doing what God wanted him to do? Just so you know, the answer is yes, yes, and absolutely He was in the will of God. He was right to leave her, and he was where God wanted him to be. Then why was he living in a tent? Because Genesis says he was living in a tent. Hebrews 11.9 says that he had to live in a tent. Excuse me, not Genesis. And so I don't know if you've ever tried to live in a tent. Has anybody tried to live in a tent? I slept in a tent once. I didn't like it. I'll be honest. It's not for me, like, no, um, not my favorite thing in the world to do. But when Abraham is living in a tent, that means he's a foreigner in the land because he doesn't have a permanent dwelling place. He has to travel, which means he doesn't feel like he's home. See, when he's traveling in the desert to get to the promised land, he could dream about the future. You know that? like when you're going somewhere, you're like, when I just get to that point, everything will be all right. If I just graduate, everything's going to be better then. Abraham is traveling through the desert. When I just get to the promised land, all of my dreams are going to be fulfilled. God's going to fulfill this promise that he set before me. If I can just pass this one threshold of my life, everything for my family will be better. Everything will make sense now. but that's not the way the world works. That's not the way life works because when when Abraham got to Canaan, that's not what happened. All of his dreams disappeared because there he was living in a tent. No one cared that he was there and God's promise was not fulfilled. Hundreds of years would go by before it would be. So why was he living in a tent? Answer is because God's timetable is not the same as ours. If you're taking notes, God's timetable is not the same as ours. God is not in a big hurry like we are. I don't know if you know that or not. We live very busy lives, but God's timetable is not the same as ours. God works across the generations to accomplish his purposes. If you remember last week, we talked about how um, he always fulfills his plans and that some of the plans about the exile took thousands of years to be fulfilled. But the proclamation of the gospel and being in exile and Daniel's work In Babylon, paving the way for the proclamation of the gospel throughout the Near East. You see, we worry. I won't say we worry. I worry about what I'm going to wear to the Halloween party. I'm not going to assume you worry about that kind of thing. But do we really think that God worries about that kind of stuff? There's a big difference between what we worry about and what God worries about. See, God is working across the generation to accomplish his purposes. But there is something even more remarkable in Genesis 12, and that's what happens to Abraham after he gets to the Promised Land. He moves from place to place, and he sets up an altar and worships God, which is good, but then a famine strikes. Famine. Of all things, a famine strikes. You see, sometimes we do all the right things in life. We, we do everything that we're supposed to do, and we follow God's directions, we take a leap of faith, We do something that we aren't expecting ourselves to do, and the very next thing that happens is not happily ever after, is it? No. It's not happily ever after. Sometimes it's a famine or a car accident. It's a drought or a diagnosis. Corporate shuffling or downsizing. any number of things. Often, it's then that our faith actually starts to waver. Abraham was dedicated. He was a dedicated follower of God. He, was, he sacrificed everything. He left earth to go to the promised land. And now there's a famine after everything he sacrificed, everything he gave up to follow God. And so he leaves the promised land. He leaves Canaan and he goes down to Egypt where he gets into more trouble. He gets into trouble because he lies about his wife Sarah. He calls him his sister and they get into this big old fiasco about that. Uh, guys, don't call your wives your sister in front of other guys. It'll get you in trouble. Seriously, you can really look it up in Genesis. It did not work out well. Um, Abraham goes to Egypt and he messes up. And we wonder why. We wonder why the famine. Why the testing? After everything that we've endured, after everything Abraham endured, after everything we sacrificed, I've been a good and faithful servant, God. I have sacrificed in my life. I have served in my life. I have done all of these things. Why do I still have to go through these struggles? Why do I feel like I'm being tested yet again? Why do these things keep happening to me? Why one more test? And the answer is the test is the point. The test is the point. After all that Abraham has been through, you would think that God would have given him like this period of peace and quiet and prosperity. Like, Abraham, you've done so good. You know what? Take it easy now. Kick back. Life is going to be good now. You've done your test. You've done it. You've sacrificed. Easy street for the rest of your life. But we all know that's not the way life works, is it? Life's not like that. Trouble often follows a period of prosperity in order to test our motives. And if your person likes to write things down or likes to tweet things, this is a good phrase to write down, tweet, or remember for later. Trouble often follows a period of prosperity in order to test our motives. Are we willing, are we serving God just because things are going well? What if we lose something? What if we lose everything? Will we still serve then? Let's think about it a different way. Let's say you got a coin, two sides, heads, and tails. Right? Every event in our life has two potential outcomes. It'll either draw us closer to God, or it'll pull us farther away from God. John Wesley talked about it this way. He said in his sermon on salvation, he said that um, a person can either move toward God or away from God. He said you can either rise up higher or fall down lower. He said, you cannot remain still. There's no such thing as being stagnant in your faith. If you are not moving forward, you are backsliding, is what he would say, in your faith. And so every event that happens in our life is either moving us toward God or away from God. And those are the only two options. And so if we look at Abraham, if Abraham would have stayed in Canaan during the famine, he would have learned how to trust God in a brand new way. If he hadn't have lied to the Egyptians about his wife, he would have given God a chance to meet his needs without resorting to deception. But because he didn't do those things, the same famine led him away from God. The famine led him away from God. How much better it would be if we would be able to learn from this lesson instead of, like, complaining every trial, at every trial and every issue that we had and saying, why God? Why me? I'm the perfect Christian. Thank you for laughing. We would be better off to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? What do you want me to learn from this? Because every difficult situation gives us an opportunity to either become a student of God's grace or a victim of circumstances. One or the other. And when famine occurs, we need to remember that God has not abandoned us. He sends and he sends these famines into our lives in order to see if we're going to trust him in these difficult moments of our lives. And so I want to jump back to this email that we got from Mary. And of course, to her specific situation, you know, we may not be able to give you know, clear direction or give a, a real answer because every situation is different. Every situation is different. And we rarely can know when we're in the middle of a discouraging circumstance why it's happening or how it's going to turn out, because sometimes we, our focus is in the wrong place. When, when, we're, when we're in the middle of something, in our, in our quest to understand God's will, we focus too much on questions like, am I where God wants me to be? And it is a good question. Am I where God wants me to be? But it puts way too much focus on our own decision-making. It puts way too much focus on the us you see, we naturally tend to um, perceive ourselves as the center of our own universe. We naturally tend to be egocentric, that, that we spend hours worrying about questions regarding our careers, and our education, and our future plans, and our, our ability to do things. And, and on one level, that's, that can be healthy because if we don't think about our futures, no one else will either, except maybe a parent who doesn't want us to move into their basement again. Um, but You don't have to laugh at that, it's okay. Stories of my life. We spend hours worrying about these things regardless. We have to spend time worrying about and thinking about some of those things and planning about them because those details of our lives matter. But life doesn't begin and end with us. It doesn't begin and end with us. If you think about it in reality, 95% maybe, I just made that up, 95%, 72%. They say the odd statistics are more believable, so we'll say 93.5% of everything that you're going to worry about this week won't matter in three weeks, let alone 10,000 years. But what will matter is what you decide regarding Christ in your life. You see, all of those trivial details that we soak up so much of our energy and so much of our worry in one day, we're going to recognize them for what they are at some point, which is just trivial details that don't really matter. So with regard to that spe- these specific questions from Mary, it may be that Mary needs to find another line of study. She may be in the wrong career path. Perhaps... Even God allowed her to enter one program in order for her not to graduate, but to allow her to see that she has giftedness in another area. Or perhaps this is simply a test to develop her perseverance, to see if she is willing to endure, to put in the effort and energy that she needs to be successful. Or a way for her to to see previously unseen weaknesses, or perhaps it's just to test her motives. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, God knows, but I don't know. I once heard someone pray, Lord, you didn't bring us this far just to see us fail. And that's true enough, but our definition of failure is not God's definition. Because those are two different things. Today's failure may be a stepping stone to whatever God has called for us to do tomorrow. Today's failure may be a stepping stone to whatever God has for us tomorrow. We simply can't be sure about these things. In advance. In all of this, our starting point is very important. It's an important thing. It takes, it often takes times of great discouragement for us to be able to realize that we can only start in two places. We can either start with our problems or we can start with God. When we're in these moments of discouragement, we either have to start with our problems or we have to start with God. But starting with our problems leads to confusion and it leads to discouragement. Because starting with God is the only way that we are led to a solid ground of hope. Realize it's nearly impossible to reason and through logic and, or whatever else, to, to reason our way back to God from a problem in our life from a situation. This bad thing happened to me, and so I am going to reason my way back to God from this bad thing. Here's the thing, if we start with us, we're gonna end with us. If I start with me, I'm gonna end with me. Then all we're gonna find is unsatisfactory answers. So we have to start with God and work from there. And that's where Jeremiah becomes so instructive, because the last part of the message from God to the disappointed exiles in Babylon, contains not only a promise, but a condition and reward. And so I invite you this morning to read with me this passage. Let's read this together. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. The promise is that when you pray, I will listen. The condition is if you look for me wholeheartedly. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And the reward is, Is I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes, I will bring you home again into your own land. The promise, the condition, and the reward. Consider what this means. God always intended to bring his people home again. God invites them to seek him in their captivity, and he desires an intimate relationship with them. Not future tense, but right now, in the moment, while they're in Babylon, see, as we look into an unseen future, we know that God intends to bring us to His appointed time and place, and we'll see and He will see to it that we're led step by step to where He wants us to be. But exactly how we get there, we don't always know. It's not clear to us. And this means for us exactly what it meant for the exiles, that sometimes we may, be, we may feel stuck in Babylon. We may feel forgotten. We may feel hopeless. But God says, pray and I'll listen. Seek me and you'll find me. And I will bring you home again restored when the time is right. Which sounds an awful lot like something Jesus said when he was around. So don't miss the point of Jeremiah 29. This invitation to seek God was given to his wayward people when they had totally blown it. So badly that they were taken from their homeland and transplanted into the heart of idol worship. And many of them would never go home again. They would not survive. They would not live long enough to see the 70 years come to an end before they would come home again. And so what do you do when you find yourself in Babylon? In your modern day, your personal Babylon? You seek God with all your heart. You pray. You look wholeheartedly. Because God desires that intimate relationship with us, even when we've blown it. And sometimes we just have to slow down enough to hear God's voice speaking to us through it all. Because honestly, we love, we love to just rush through it. We love to just breeze on past because we're in such a hurry to be doing life. And we forget that God's timetable and ours are completely different. And sometimes slowing down and pacing ourselves is the best thing that we can do because often pace can lead to peace in our lives. And pacing ourselves can bring peace to our hearts. As we study the events of life and try to discern what it all means, keep in mind that God intends to bring us to the place where our hearts will be focused on him and him alone. And that explains why it was good for the Jews to be in Babylon. Yeah, they were being punished, yes, but it wasn't the end of their story. Babylon wasn't the end. God put them there in Babylon that they would seek him in a way that they had not done in Jerusalem. And does the same thing for us because Jerusalem can become like Babylon. That place of, this is where I'm a person of faith, can become that place of not being a place of faith anymore. Jerusalem can become Babylon in our lives. Just like Babylon can become Jerusalem in our lives. All of this reminds me of a song. It's what we... I say we, but what they used to call a B-track, and if you know what that is, high-five yourself, um, but it means it never got any airtime on the radio. But back in 2003, the band Leonard Skinner released an album called Vicious Cycle on which one of the songs was called Hell or Heaven. I invite you to take a listen. Mama used to say to me you can make your destiny keep your feet planted on the ground you can always get it back make a castle from a one room shack it's all a watch you make a what you found the sun you're going to find always been the hand of God, wrestle right there on your shoulders. Here's the bottom line. As you experience moments of exile in your life, your own personal Babylon, don't despair. God has not forgotten you. And I invite you to remember these truths. One, that God often puts us in places that we don't like so that we're forced to confront our own weaknesses. Two, we often we'll be in those places longer than we would choose to be. Three, these times are wasted. We waste these times if we mope around complaining or become bitter with God. And lastly, these times can be redeemed if we use them to grow, to serve other people, and to know God better through them. The great mystic Thomas Akempis, who wrote The Imitation of Christ, said, Seek God and not happiness. Often we get that backwards and we try to seek happiness and then somehow try to throw God in as, as an added bonus. But we end up with neither. And this is the paradox of the gospel. And that's what, when we truly seek God and we find Him, when we seek wholeheartedly and we find God, we find a sense of deep fulfillment in our lives, a lasting joy, what Christ called in John 10.10, 10, life and life abundant. Some know this is genuine happiness. But it takes years for many of us to figure that out, and some of us never quite get it straight. Instead, we often pursue earthly happiness in our own agendas, and then we wonder why life leaves us frustrated and unfulfilled. So what do you see today when you look at your life? If, you see, if all you see is Babylon, if all you see is Babylon, you're going to be miserable. But if you see God working, if you see God working in it, you will have hope. Life is awful short, friends. We're born, we live, and we die in, in just a blink of an eye. Each day is a gift, it's a blessing, even if we're in Babylon. Babylon. What would it take for you to look beyond yourself today to see your life starting and centering on God and not yourself? How would your day and your day-to-day routine change if you were to begin to live into God's timetable instead of your own? And how could pacing your life bring peace today? Now are you wholeheartedly seeking God? God, we pray to you in this moment because we know that you hear us. We seek your guidance in our lives. Comfort our aching hearts as we endure the burdens of our brokenness. Forgive us, Lord, in every way that we have failed in your sight. We admit our failure to to you, Lord, as we strive to do better each day. Gracious God, we, we thank you for your grace that washes over us, making us whole in you. We thank you for your unending love, your divine mercy, and your grace, Lord, in our lives. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray, and it's in his name that we say, amen.